Who are the greatest number 10s in NFL history? Well, in this Best of the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, Warren Rogan of Sports Forgotten Heroes comes into the pig pen to try to help us find these most significant players to wear that jersey number 10 in NFL history. We have our results in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Tonight, everybody, we have a great opportunity. We're going to continue on our journey through the football numbers of the NFL, and we have all the substantial players that have worn those numbers. And tonight we are on the number 10 and joining me in this episode on the top NFL players to wear the number 10 is the host of the well-known Sports Forgotten Heroes podcast, Mr. Warren Rogan. Warren, welcome to the Pigpen. Hey, Darren, thanks so much. Glad to be here. The Pigpen, really looking forward to it. Great name. Yeah, you, you better put those boots on when you're in the Pigpen, you know, get sloppy <laughs> in here sometimes. But uh, we're going to be all right. We'll, we'll take care of each other here. But Warren, uh, for, if you could just tell our listeners uh, of the Pigskin Dispatch a little bit about your podcast, The Sports Forgotten Heroes. It's really a great program. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, I launched uh, Sports Forgotten Heroes back in April of 2017. I was looking uh, to get into the podcast world, and I was talking to some people uh, who who had their own podcasts at the time, told them, yeah, it seems like an interesting thing to do. And they said, well, Warren, with as much sports knowledge as you have and your love and passion for sports, why don't you do something with that? And I've always been a fan of the history of the game. And I started researching and it didn't seem like there was a lot of sports history podcasts out there. So I got to thinking maybe uh, maybe something about uh, sports history. And I ran some ideas by these guys. And, you know, I said, well, you know, I don't see much out there. And they said, Warren, if you are interested in it, then there's got to be somebody else interested in it. So I went ahead and uh, launched it. Uh, Sports Forgotten Heroes figured I publish a new episode every other week. I pick Tuesdays. I don't know why, but every (laughs) other Tuesday at 7 a.m., a new episode of Sports Forgotten Heroes is posted. And uh, I'm into the hundreds now. Well, episode number 100, Pete Sampras. I don't do a lot out of the four major sports, but I thought, wow, for a topic for episode 100, if I can't have the actual forgotten hero on, who would make for a good topic? I got to thinking, Pete Sampras. No, I couldn't get Pete on there. He's actually, from what I understand, a pretty shy guy. And um, I did make contact with someone who recently wrote a book about Pete, a tennis journalist, guy by the name of Steve Flink. And he and I talked about Pete, my gosh, for almost 90 minutes. And, And you could go on and on. And, you know, Pete, just might be the greatest American male tennis player of all time. And it's crazy to think that way um, when you have guys like McEnroe and Connors and Agassi, even Jim Courier and going back further, Arthur Ashe and Rod Laver. But what people don't realize is that Sampras actually won – 14 Grand Slam events, never the French Open, but 14 between Wimbledon, the Australian, and the U.S. Open, which was more than any other player in the history of tennis. And then along come Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, and uh, these guys are just blowing those numbers out of the water. But as far as American men are concerned, no one has done what Pete Sampras did. 
but it's, it's truly a great podcast. You know, the ones I've listened to you just bringing back the memories and some, some people I've never even heard of and they're for, they are forgotten heroes and yeah. you shed light on them and bring the nostalgia and the recognition to these, these folks that really did some amazing things and have some great stories. And we really appreciate you bringing those to us. As oh, listeners. thanks so much. It's, it's a lot of fun. You know, it's, it's one of those, as I'm, I'm sure it is for you, Darren, it's a topic. I, I enjoy all sports. I'm sure you do, but you know, you focus really in on football and it's something you probably live and breathe every day. So why not share your passion with other people who have the uh, same interests? Right. And uh, you hit it right on nail on the head. Well, let's get into a little bit of football, shall we? Uh, talking about the number 10s today, and what we want to do is we have quite a, a good starting point of there's some Hall of Famers that the Pro Football Hall of Fame has announced that wore the number 10. And uh, I'm just going to go through those real quick here, and we can go sure. into some more detail on them. But I want to come up with our top 10 that you and I agree on. And okay. the, the hall, these Hall of Famers are probably a good place to start. First one we have is Johnny Blood McNally. And I did a podcast on Johnny. Did you? Okay. Well, this yeah. is good. We'll get to him in a second. Jan Stenrud, who we've had at some other numbers as Hall of Famer. Uh, Fran Tarkington, great quarterback there. Kurt Warner, another outstanding quarterback. But those four are who the Pro Football Hall of Fame say are in the Hall of Fame that wore the number 10. Maybe we'd like to talk about those four first, because I think they almost have an automatic bid on our list, I would think. Sure. Why don't we start with Johnny Blood? He's really interesting because, you know, I did some research after uh, uh, you and I discussed what numbers um, I would talk about. And the reason I picked, uh, I'll make it uh, no secret, I picked 10 and 11 because I'm a Giants fan and number 10, Eli, number 11, Phil Sims. So I thought uh, those guys would be uh, pretty good uh, to discuss with you. Um, you, you, know, so, it's, you know, it's interesting before you, I'm sorry to interrupt you, yeah. but we have, uh, there's three gentle, three of you gentlemen that are coming on to talking. Uh, three of you are Giants fans. I don't know if you, Larry <laughs> Schmidt has had a couple episodes with us so far. Uh, he did number ones and Dan Newman, who's on the sports history network on the hello old sports, also a Giants fan. And you guys are all going after those, those Giants numbers, you know, the Lawrence Taylors and the Bavaros <laughs> and the Phil Sims. So they, they were kind of d- d- Dan and Larry were kind of disappointed when 10 and 11 were gone, but I thought oh, there you go. Well, Warren's got those locked up. <laughs> well, well, when you come around to 53, I'll take that one too. Harry Carson, <laughs> what a great, great football player, hall of famer. And uh, you know, yeah, what can you say about 56 and LT? I mean, like they say, he revolutionized, revolutionized the position. Absolutely. He did. But uh, yeah, Johnny blood's really interesting because you know, I went back and looked at Johnny Blood, and his real name is Johnny McNally. While the Hall of Fame claims that he wore number 10, I searched and searched, and I don't see a number 10 on, on Johnny Blood. He wore a multitude of numbers during his playing days. None of them appeared to be number 10. If you go to a footballreference.com, they have them as 57, 24, 20, 14, 35, 26, 55, mm. and 15. I don't see a number 10 in there. I, I couldn't but, find it either. <laughs> yeah, but if the Hall of Fame says that Johnny Blood at one time wore number 10, I'll take uh, the Hall of Fame's word for it. Yeah, he's a uh, really interesting character. A gentleman by the name of Ralph Hickok, who was a, uh, a, a journalist, reached out to me a couple years ago about Johnny Blood and told me he had written a book about him. Um, and would I be interested in doing a podcast about Johnny Blood? Well, of course I'd be interested in doing a podcast about Johnny Blood for a myriad of reasons, one of which is the name Johnny Blood. What a <laughs> what a catchy name. Sure um, is. Yeah, Ralph uh, wrote a, a, a book called The Vagabond Halfback, and Ralph spent uh, several years or a lot of time with, with Johnny, recounting so many stories, hitting the road with Johnny, and um, he put it all down in a book. Took him a, a, a few years to write it. 
And um, what, a, what an interesting character, beginning with the name Johnny Blood. He got that. He had college eligibility left after he'd played some pro ball, and he wanted an alias so he could go back and play some college ball. And ah. that was a real common thing back in the 19-teens and the 1920s when uh, the NFL – and whatever pro leagues there were back then really weren't as organized as the league is today. And these guys would show up and use alias names so they could still uh, play in college. And, uh, you know, a lot of them were caught at one point or the other, and they were banned from ever playing college again. But uh, Johnny, who also boxed a little, the story goes that he and another player, a guy by the name of Ralph Sand, they wanted to hide their identities and used aliases. And they were trying to come up with names and they're uh, riding a motorcycle or something like that and passed by a movie theater. And on the marquee was the movie Rudolph Valentino, star of Blood and Sand. And I know I'm going to get this wrong. Monsieur Bulcaire. I got no clue if I <laughs> that got was some pretty good French there. <laughs> yeah. Well, Johnny looked up at the marquee and said, that's it. That's our new names. And Johnny took the name Johnny Blood and Ralph took the name Sand. And that's how they became Johnny Blood and Ralph Sand. Um, wow, that is, that is uh, a good story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh yeah, I mean Johnny Blood was a was a heck of a ball player. I mean, he played every position. You know, he was a tailback. They all did back then. You know, right. you didn't have rosters of 53 guys. You had, you know, you were in the 20s, sometimes not even that. And Johnny played tailback and halfback and wingback and, you know, defensive back. He probably kicked the ball a little. And he played for a number of teams. His first team was uh, the Milwaukee Badgers. Hmm. Then he played for the infamous Duluth Eskimos. And I'm not sure, but I think I read at some point in the history of the Duluth Eskimos, and that's Duluth, Minnesota, where it is cold 364 days a year. I think it's <laughs> summer on July the 4th. Um, they, they only might have had one home game in their entire history. Um, but they were a uh, they were a heck of a team. Then he played for the Green Bay Packers twice and the Pittsburgh Steelers twice. So he was a uh, he was a, a a heck of a all around player. Yeah, he was he definitely. He was a great great athlete, like you said. A lot of he was known for his uh, having some uncanny speed for the time too. It really helped him out in his his game. So yeah, definitely Johnny McNally, Johnny Blood McNally on our our list of our number 10s for today. What do you have? Let's go to Jan Stenerud. Now we've talked a little bit about him on some other episodes of this podcast, but what a, what a great kicker Jan Stenerud was. Yeah, I think, I think he made um, most of his career, you know, uh, accomplishments, obviously with the Kansas city chiefs uh, for most of his career, he wore the number three and that was with the chiefs. Uh, he wore number 10 with the Packers, and he played uh, four of his 19 years with the Packers. And then he ended his career with the Vikings, where um, he also wore number three. Man, this guy was something special. I think his longest field goal of his career was 54 yards, and he, he, he hit that a couple of times. Um, I wrote down some numbers out of – 558 field goal attempts. He made 373. Pretty darn good. You know, remember back in the day, the extra point, you know what, up until a couple years ago was set up where the seven yard line or something like that. Right, you know, right. Seven yard kick. And he made 580 of 601 attempts. Only 21 times out of 601 times did he miss. And he made Every extra point he attempted, 128 over a four-year stretch, he didn't miss a single one. I mean, that's 
those are crazy numbers. But he was, you know, he was the Chiefs. Uh, you know, he, he won a Super Bowl with the Chiefs, played, like I said, for 13 years with them. And he was a true kicker. He didn't, he didn't go out, you know, like some of these guys and try to play these other, you know, other positions. He didn't punt. He was a kicker and he was a heck of a kicker. For his career, inside 19 yards, he was 60 of 64 inside 29 yards. He was 106 for 130 inside 39. You know, when I say inside, that's 30 to 39. It was 20 to 29. He was 113 of 150 from 40 to 49. He hit just just under 50% going 77 of 150 and, you know, Outside of 50, he tried it 64 times and, and connected on 17. I mean, you know, what do you say about the guy? Oh, uh, fantastic. Yeah, I mean, he, he's a true Hall of Famer. I wish I had some pretty cool stories to tell you off the field about Jan Stenerud, but uh, unfortunately, I don't. Well, maybe our next Hall of Famer that wore the number 10, you do, because he was a New York Giant at one time, Fran Tarkington. He, he, he was. Here's a good trivia question for you, for the people out there. Fran, obviously, uh, spent a tiny bit of time in the booth on Monday Night Football. Mm-hmm. Um, you recall what variety television show he hosted? Oh, I, I know. <laughs> but I, it, I used to watch that show. That's incredible. That's incredible. And interestingly enough, I think as we're talking about it, I'm just remembering there was a woman who was a co-host on that show. I think her name was Kathy Lee Crosby. Oh, you're right. And she was married, I think, for a time to Joe Theismann. Might be the wrong quarterback you have there, or wrong football player, I think. I'm not sure. I I think... (laughs) Well, what do you know? Uh, believe wasn't Kathy Lee Gifford on that show? No, no, no. That's no, Kathy, no, no. This is Kathy Lee Crosby. Oh, okay, okay. They're two I, different people. I sure. thought you were having fun with me there. <laughs> no, no, no. Kathy Lee Gifford obviously married Kathy uh, uh, Frank Gifford, but Kathy Lee Crosby, I believe, was a co-host of That's Incredible. Yeah, she was a co-host. But she was um, Bing, Bing Crosby's daughter, I believe. Yeah, and she was a tennis player as well. I think she played in Wimbledon a couple of times. And my gosh, I th- she was. She was, maybe she wasn't married to Joe Theismann, but they were a couple. They were definitely a I, couple. I, I did not know that. I don't know if you've watched uh, Peyton Manning's program on ESPN Plus, Peyton's Places since season Every once two. Every in a while I've caught it. What a, he's he, terrific. He had a special on Fran Tarkington just a few weeks ago, and uh, they brought up the That's Incredible, you know, brought up some great memories of, uh, of course, you know, Tarkington's playing days too with both the Giants and the Vikings. But some interesting uh, attributes of Fran Tarkington. So if anybody wants to see that, Peyton Manning does a great job on that. He's kind of a funny guy too. Yeah, no, no doubt. Well, um, you know, Fran played, he came up with the uh, Minnesota Vikings, then he went to the Giants, and then back to Minnesota. Actually, he was drafted in the AFL by the Boston Patriots, what they call him, the Scrambler. You know, he was just this incredible talent. You know, he did what guys like Lamar Jackson do today, you know, running around, but it was more he was running around for his life as opposed to what today's quarterbacks do where these are designed rollouts and designed running plays. Tarkenton just flat out ran for his life. He played 18 years in the NFL, 13 with Minnesota, five with the Giants. He really didn't like playing in New York. He came in, I think he might have replaced Earl Morrill at quarterback or Norm Sneed, one of those guys. Oh, he was traded. He was he was right. he was traded to the Vikings from the Giants for Norm Sneed. But you know, a heck of a scrambler. He threw 
for 342 touchdowns over the course of his career. Also put up a couple of interceptions. I think it was numbers like 266. He ran for over 3,600 yards, scored 32 touchdowns, one loss record. He was 124 wins, 109 losses, and he led uh, Vikings to three Super Bowl appearances. Unfortunately, he lost all three. He was six and five uh, uh, for his career in the playoffs. By the way, who's the only other quarterback to lead the Vikings to a Super Bowl appearance? You got me there. I, I can only think of Fran Tarkington, Vikings being in the Super Bowl. In the Super Bowl that Jan Stenerud appeared in, our other number 10, that, you know, one of the mm-hmm. other number 10s that we had discussed. Right. Uh, 1969 Super Bowl four actually was the 1970 Super Bowl 69 season that always gets me confused. Joe Cap led the ah. Vikings to the Super Bowl and they lost to the Chiefs 23 to seven. And interestingly enough, I got a podcast on Joe Cap as well, episode number forty. If anybody's interested, <laughs> okay, well, I'll, I'll definitely have to check that one out because I I thought. Uh... All the Viking Super Bowls were all Fran Tarkington. I That's what everybody that. thinks. Um, but no, um, that that year, Tarkington played for the Giants. Huh, okay. Giant in, uh, in 69. Yeah, um, you know, Fran was traded to the Giants and then came back to Minnesota. And he came back with a, 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 one of the most favorite Giants of all time, a guy by the name of Bob Tucker, who is a terrific tight end. But, you know, when you take a look at some of the uh, uh, some of the numbers that Fran Tarkenton put up, I mean, they're incredible numbers. I mean, the 47,000 yards in that era of football. Yeah, I mean. That's phenomenal. Yeah, he threw for 47,000 yards. um, And you're right. In in that time, it was just this. You didn't do that twice. And then people say, well, what big deal? But twice he threw for over 3,000 yards the first time in a 14-game season. And again, this guy was running for his life all the time. Sure, the Vikings had the purple people leaders, but that was defense. Their offensive line wasn't all that good, and and Fran had to run for his life all the time. You know, it was interesting in that uh, Peyton Manning program that they showed, they were – saying how uh, he sort of opened it up for the quarterbacks of today, you know, the, the Lamar Jacksons and uh, the Russell Wilsons. But then they showed a clip of Patrick Mahomes, the way he scrambled side by side of Fran Tarkington scramble. And they were almost identical. You would have thought it was the, the same person. Just on, one was wearing a chief's uniform. One was wearing a Minnesota uniform because they both had that, you know, backward scramble running towards their old goal line. And then, you know, pivot real quick and you know defenders are you know falling all over themselves so it's very interesting yeah you know it it really is you can i i guess you could probably see a little bit of fran in mahomes and you know you take a look at some of the crazy throws these sidearm throws these under underarm throws these you know uh shovel passes that mahomes has I think Tarkenton did a bunch of that as well. He uh, he was a star at the University of Georgia. In fact, he's also in the College Football Hall of Fame. He was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame in 1987, a year after he was inducted into the Pro, the Pro Football Hall of Fame in um, 1986. His, his best season... With the Giants, we know he had three terrific seasons with Minnesota, leading them into the Super Bowl each of those uh, those three seasons. His best season with the Giants came in 1970. You know, the Giants just weren't like they are today, just not a good football team. And um, in 70, he overcame an 0-3 start to win nine of the next 10 games. The Giants were in position to win the NFC East that year, uh, going into that final week, uh, but they lost uh, to the Los Angeles Rams at Yankee Stadium, thirty-one to three, and that ended what was a real promising finish 
to a season that's so poorly. The Giants went nine and five that year. You know, that was the closest the Giants had come to making the playoffs over that ridiculous 17-year hope we are not going to uh, go through another 17-year drought, although it uh, certainly feels like it. And, you know, I don't know. um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, Darren, but I think that um, his 47,000 yards when he retired had to be, you know, I, I the, think he um, was tops in the NFL when he retired with that number. He might, yeah, he might have been tops in the NFL at that time. You know, like we said, he was a heck of a scrambler. He he rushed for over 3,600 yards four times. He ran, well, I'm sorry, seven times he ran for over 300 yards in a season. Um, I, when he retired, yeah, when he retired – he had he had the NFL career records for the most pass attempts. Okay, but, well, uh, yeah, I mean, he's every bit a Hall of Famer. It might be one of the, uh, if not the greatest number ten, certainly one of the two or three best number tens of all time. I agree. Well, as long as we're talking about your Giants, how about another Hall of Famer that wore the number ten and also played for the Giants at one time, Kurt Warner. Yeah, you know, he played he played for the Giants, um, but that's not who he's uh, uh, best remembered for. Um, you know, what he did with the Rams and then later the Cardinals is what he's best remembered for. Oh, of the course, greatest show on he turf. He wore number 10. Yeah, he wore number 10 and 13 with the Rams and uh, with the Giants and um, with – with the uh, with the Cardinals, he only played the one year with the Giants. He was keeping the position warm for uh, for Eli, but uh, you know what an interesting guy. And you could watch him on the NFL Network these days. But uh, he wore the number ten with the St. Louis Rams in 1998. But for the rest of his career, he wore number thirteen. Gosh, you talk about a guy who persevered during the course of his career, Kurt Warner, I mean, he wanted to make it to the NFL. I guess he didn't have the game at first. He was uh, tried to make it with the, uh, with the Green Bay Packers comes out of a small school, Northern Iowa. Who's ever Mm -hmm. heard of Northern Iowa, you know, especially being a football power and doesn't do too well with Green Bay, is let go, and he goes to, of all places, the Arena Football League, where he plays for a team called the Iowa Barnstormers, whom, by the way, I think have one of the coolest helmets in the history of football. <laughs> and um, he, he played for them for two years. And the numbers that he put up, while, you know, you can't really – talk about the yardage because of how short a field arena football league played on he did throw for 183 touchdowns and 43 interceptions i mean you know crazy numbers and i think believe it or not i think there is an arena league Hall of Fame, and he's a member of that Hall of Fame. Oh, I believe it. I mean, one thing I think the Arena League taught him is just that quick release. You know, you just for survival, you have to release the ball quicker. You're going to get killed. And I think that really Absolutely. helped him out. Absolutely. And then, and then, um, you know, he tried to make it back to the NFL. And um, he was, I don't want to use the term relegated, but he was assigned. He was assigned somehow or signed to go play for a team in the NFL Europe League called the Amsterdam Admirals. And he played for one year with Amsterdam. They went seven and three, and he threw for 15 touchdowns in those 10 games and just over 2,100 yards. Then he finally got his break with the St. Louis Rams, his first year, he was only 27 years. I mean, he not only he was at an advanced age for in NFL terms for a rookie. He played for St. Louis that first year wearing number 10. So he played one game wearing <laughs> number 10 and uh, put up these kinds of Hall of Fame numbers. 
four completions and 11 attempts for 39 yards. And he's in the Hall of Fame as a number 10. And he's in the Hall of Fame as a number 10. Go figure. (laughs) But as a number 11, holy smokes, with St. Louis, 35 and 15, a Super Bowl championship, threw for over 14,000 yards. You know, wow, what a, you know, won two MVP awards. Like I said earlier, he, he played for the Giants that one season. They let him go. He goes off to Arizona, leads them to a Super Bowl. Uh, they didn't win. But he did throw one of my favorite passes of all time as a Steelers fan, though, to James Harrison. <laughs> <laughs> James, who was it? Harrison ran the ball back? Right. <laughs> barely. He barely made it. <laughs> he did. Yeah, he, he, needed a, he needed a little bit of oxygen afterwards. And was that the uh, Santonio Holmes had that crazy right. catch? But, yeah, I mean – what an arm for Kurt Warner. I mean, that guy, wow, what a career. You know, he only played, uh, what, 11 years, 12 years. Especially with getting such a late start, you know. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, he makes it into the Hall of Fame. Like you said, it was uh, uh, the quarterback of the greatest show on turf. And um, he won the Super Bowl, uh, lost a Super Bowl, too, with the uh, with the Rams when they lost, didn't they lose to the Patriots? I believe uh, they did. And um, he he led the NFL in passing twice. You know the touchdowns. He he was twice the uh, leader in in rating. He won the uh, NFL uh, Man of the Year, the Walter Payton Man of the Year. He's in the Arizona Cardinals Ring of Honor. What else can you say about this guy? Is a career passer rating of ninety three point seven. Jeez, what a what a career! Yeah, he definitely took care of the ball well too. That's for sure. No doubt. I mean, he. Um, yeah, what a what a career. A quarterback. I always like to look at their touchdowns to their interception ratio, especially modern quarterbacks. And he was 208 touchdowns to 128 interceptions. So almost a, a two to one, which is a pretty good ratio for a quarterback in the NFL. Absolutely. Had a completion percentage of just over 65%. I mean, what a what a you know, he's another one who didn't quite crack the five thousand yard barrier. But three times he, he crossed 4,000. Uh, his first full year at quarterback, he went 13-3 and three and led the Rams to the Super Bowl. He threw for 4,353 yards and 41 touchdowns against yeah, only 13 interceptions. As a nobody at the time. <laughs> yeah, and he had a passer rating of 109.2. His best year might have been 2001 when the Rams went 14 and 2. He had a 68.7 completion percentage, threw for 4,830 yards, 36 touchdowns, and 22 interceptions, averaged over 300 yards a game, and had a passer rating of 101.4. The only other time he threw for over 4,000 yards was in 2008 when he took the uh, Cardinals unexpectedly to the Super Bowl, going 9-7, and seven, threw for 4,583 yards, 30 touchdowns, and 14 INTs. I mean, guy was a star quarterback. Uh, I guess he just developed late and learned a lot playing for Iowa and Amsterdam. I, I guess so. Well, let's take it on to our next quarterback, also – played with the Giants. I think it's one that you've been waiting to talk about here for a while. Yeah. You know, there's a case for Eli to be a hall of famer. um, And there's a case for him not to be. It's really interesting. Um, You know, how much of the Giants failure to make the playoffs over his last several years is really his fault. I think he gets a bum rap. I really do in certain instances. Uh, You know, Eli Manning threw for 366 touchdowns and, yeah, 244 interceptions. Um, I have this discussion with a lot of friends about interceptions. 
And certainly, Eli, without a doubt, threw his share of interceptions. And you could probably say this about a ton of quarterbacks, but I really believe that Eli was snake bitten. Go back and take a look at how many balls he put right in the chest or in the hands of a receiver who then coughed the ball up into a defensive back's hands, and it counts as an interception. The NFL has got to go back and do something about that and make a judgment call on whether something is an interception or a fumble, or can they come up with a new category and call it an interception against the receiver. I Even this year, looking at Evan Engram, uh, some of those interceptions that Daniel Jones throws – those are balls that bounce off the receiver's hands. And, and again, it's not just Giants quarterbacks. It's quarterbacks in general. But I think that certain quarterbacks have been snake bitten. Eli's one of them. Yeah, I, you could point I really didn't think his ratio was that, that bad, though. I mean, he had 366 touchdowns in his career, only 244 interceptions. That's really not that bad of a, a ratio. Exactly. But he gets this bum rap that he he was just – you know, through so many interceptions over the course of his career. And again, he really didn't. Now, maybe some of them were untimely, but, you know, 24 touchdowns, 17 interceptions, 21 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, 35 touchdowns, 14, 30 touchdowns, 14. Even that last year when he went one and three, he had more touchdowns than interceptions. Um Completion percentage, not the greatest, 60%, through for 57,000 yards. I think, I think the big knock against him is that his career record is 117 and 117. That's something that jumped out at me. I, I was surprised by that. Yeah, you know, he had several seasons – you know, especially the last three, three and 12, five and 11, one and three. But, and actually, if you go back to 2013, he, he has six of his final seven seasons. He only had a winning, winning record once. And that was 2016 when they went 11 and five. But, you know, how much of that was his fault as opposed to a guy like Jerry Reese who couldn't put a team around him? Uh, that's that's true there's some truth to that but uh you know i think the one thing that gets him in the hall of fame i I believe he will be in the hall of fame i don't know that he'll be a first ballot hall of famer but i think he will be in the hall of fame as his you know winning two super bowls that does a lot for your uh prominence and getting into the hall of fame i believe and being an mvp of one of those super bowls definitely a a counts big I, i totally agree with you he played in the super bowl twice won the Super Bowl twice, clutch, clutch performances in the fourth quarter. He's got more Super Bowl wins than Fran Tarkenton, another Hall of Famer, Kurt Warner, another Hall of Famer, Aaron Rodgers, a soon-to-be Hall of Famer. Jim Kelly. (laughs) Joe Namath, Len Dawson, Johnny Unitas, Ken Stabler, Steve Young, Drew Brees. The playoffs, including the Super Bowl, He's eight and four in the playoffs, 18 touchdowns, nine interceptions, four fourth quarter comebacks, five game winning drives. In 2007, what Brady did in this year's Super Bowl, winning all three games on the road and then going to, to Raymond James to technically win on his home turf, Eli in 2007 or the, 2000, uh, uh, the 2008 Super Bowl, again, confusing, went 4-0. and All four of those games were legitimate road games. And I contend that if Plaxico Burris doesn't shoot himself in the leg, the Giants were rolling. They were 11-1. and They were outclassing everyone. Yeah, anything can happen either way. But I contend the Giants were on their way to at least another Super Bowl appearance. They were 11-1. Plaxico is Eli's favorite target at that point. They go 1-3 and three down the stretch and, and lose in the playoffs. But, I mean, 
Eli Manning led the Giants over the course of his career to 27 fourth quarter comebacks, 37 game-winning drives, and let's not forget his durability. 210 games in a row, and of that, I hate to say it, jerk coach McAdoo doesn't bench him. Yeah, that was atrocious. Yeah, and trivia, who started the game to break Eli's uh, streak? Hmm. I don't know. You got me again there, Warren. I'm not sure. <laughs> Geno Smith. Oh, that's right. That's Good right. I should have known that. Smith. Yeah, yes. He didn't have the worst game. They lost to Oakland in Oakland. Geno went 21 of 34 for 212 yards and a touchdown. But Eli came back and started the next week. And, you know, let's, let's also take a look at the 2011 season. The Giants went nine and seven. Eli didn't finish every single one of those games. And, you know, the Giants sat on the ball a couple of times. He could have thrown for over 5,000 yards, came up 67 yards short. He threw for 4,933 yards. I mean, uh, Eli Manning, and that was the year, by the way, that he threw that 99-yard touchdown to Victor Cruz. <laughs> Well, that, I mean, that's definitely, I think Eli Manning is on our list. So let's, let's just review where we are right now. We have sure. the, the Hall of Famers, Johnny Blood, uh, Fran Tarkington, Kurt Warner, Jan Stenerud, putting Eli Manning on that list of our, our top number 10s in history. Well, now I think it gets a little trickier because now we've got a lot of quarterbacks that were good quarterbacks, but maybe not great quarterbacks. And, uh, uh, a few other uh, positions. Uh, we have some wide receivers in there that maybe have some, some consideration, and a, yeah. a few kickers, and um, a, a decent a decent linebacker. Sorry, uh, Giants fan, Brad Van Pelt. He won a he won a, a Super Bowl with the Giants as well. Okay, well, let, let me go through a list of quarterbacks, and maybe there's some that uh, you know touch your fancy here that we want to talk sure. about. I got one in particular, but go ahead. Okay. I, I've got a list. I've got Trent Green, more than number 10. Sure. Jim Zorn of the Seahawks fame. Uh, he, and they, the Seahawks were, were just an awful team, and Zorn had a big, big arm. Yes, he did. Uh, Don Strock. Uh, <laughs> Jay Schrader. Yeah. Cordell Stewart. Yeah. Shad Pennington. Yeah. And that's that's pretty much who I had as the quarterbacks that uh, probably, I mean, there's a lot of quarterbacks that were number 10, but probably the substantial quarterbacks that were number 10 that would possibly one of those make our list or a couple of them make our list. Well, I got one you didn't mention. Okay. Steve Bartkowski. Oh, yes. Okay. Uh, Steve Bartkowski was a terrific quarterback. Um, you know, he played 11 years with the Falcons. And uh, one year with the Rams, he wore number 10 his entire career. Um, he once led the NFL in touchdown passes. It was 1980. He had 31 touchdown passes for a team that he took to the playoffs, the Falcons, who went 12 and four. Um, he had, a, 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 again, he won one year. He led the, foul, uh, the league in uh, completion percentage at six, just over 67 um, led the league in, in quarterback rating one year at 97. That was 1983. I mean, he went 123 and 121 with the Atlanta Falcons through 154 touchdown passes. And he threw a lot of interceptions to 141. Um, but he had a big arm, uh, threw for over 24,000 yards for his career, I thought I thought that uh, Steve Barkowski is he a Hall of Famer? No, but he is certainly a um, uh, uh, a terrific uh, uh, more more than a serviceable quarterback. Oh yeah, he's definitely a definitely starter material. You know, a, a franchise quarterback he was for the Falcons. You know, let's say because he he definitely met that bill. Uh, you know, Zorn had sort of similar numbers. I mean, it's amazing you said that because I'm sitting here looking at Zorn. He also had 141 interceptions, but only 111 touchdowns. Yeah. For 
less yardage, only threw for just over 21,000 yards, had a quarterback, starting quarterback record of 44 and 62, but on some, like you said, really atrocious uh, uh, teams for Seattle just coming into the league when they were still in the AFC. And, uh, you know, for yeah, the expansion I, team. The, the thing about Jim was it was right around 81 or 82 that uh, he took a backseat to, um, oh, what was it? Dave, David Craig. Dave Craig. And, um, you know, so his final five or six years, he, he wasn't a starter. He also played for Green Bay and, 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 and Tampa. Um, and he, he wore number 10, by the way, with Seattle and with Tampa. Um, but the guy had a big arm. He played for some awful teams, although twice he did finish over 500 with Seattle in 78 and 79, he went back to back with nine and seven seasons. Um, you know, and yeah, let's see, 3,200 yards, 3,600 yards, 3,300 yards. Those are decent numbers um, at that time for a team that really wasn't that good. All right. Well, before we get locked into saying we want to choose, you know, some of these quarterbacks, Let's talk about, I mean, we have a pretty good class of, I have four wide receivers I'd like to talk about. Uh, you know, three of them are still playing. And I have DeAndre Hopkins, Tyreek yep. Hill, yep. Sean Jackson, and somebody you mentioned earlier, Santonio Holmes. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, my gosh, DeAndre Hopkins, what in the world? How You talk about a dysfunctional team, the Houston Texans have got to be one of the most dysfunctional teams in all of sports. Oh, I yeah. mean, what in the world? I, I, I don't get it. Especially with a young quarterback, you know, that's uh, you know, making big plays. You want to yeah, have that I mean, receiver there, you know, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling. Uh, uh, this guy, uh, what's his name, Jack Easterby, who was a a a pastor or a reverend or some sort of uh, a religious figure, um, not not cutting down religion in any way, shape, or form. For for I think it was the Patriots or something like that, or the Chiefs, and he worked his way up to running a football team, and he let Bill O'Brien under the McNair family, trade DeAndre Hopkins for nothing, for David Johnson, whose career is so passe. And and he lets DeAndre Hopkins leave and go to the <laughs> to the Arizona Cardinals for nothing. For yeah. nothing. I yeah. mean it, it's mind-boggling. They they traded DeAndre Hopkins for what? No, but he's definitely outstanding player, outstanding number 10. Uh, same with Tyreek Hill. I mean, what a, what a talent, what a speedster. And, you know, he is, he is so fast and so quick, shifty, um, you know, what a, uh, what a, what a, you know, you would almost, you almost have to wonder what, what the Chiefs, well, we know what the Chiefs would be without, without um, Patrick Mahomes. It wouldn't be the same team, obviously, but would they be the same team without the uh, uh, Tyree Kill? The guy is, well, let's see, uh, this year, uh, 1,276 yards and 15 touchdowns, yeah, uh, including incredible. a 75-yarder. Uh, I mean, the guy is – he's a phenom. He's, a, he's an absolute phenom. And, you know, where did he go to school? West Alabama? Where is that? Yeah, Andy Reid really found a gem there when he got Tyreek Hill. Uh, I mean, if you just think about the Super Bowl we just had, how the I mean, the Patriots played a, a I'm sorry, the Patriots, the Buccaneers played a great um, 
defensive strategy, you know, running two deep safeties the whole game just because of the threat of one Tyreek Hill. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And, you know, still, I mean, he had seven receptions for 73 yards. Um, You know, it's not uh, Tyreek Hill-like, but it's still pretty darn good in the Super Bowl. He averaged over 10 yards a reception. It's not like he didn't do his game, uh, you know, what he was supposed to do. And, you know, Tampa's defense was nothing to sneeze at. No, they, they took him away. That was a great strategy they had. All right. Uh, so we talked about uh, Tyreek Hill. We talked about Hopkins. Now, Deshaun Jackson, probably not, I mean, a great receiver, but probably he and San Antonio Holmes are probably not in the same class as Hopkins and Tyreek Hill. No, uh, and and I hate to say it. I'm <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Deshaun Jackson, what a, uh, you know, a thorn in the side of every New York Giants fan. Um, he, he burned the Giants so many times. But, you know, Deshaun Jackson had a heck of a, you know, I don't want to say he had a heck of a career. He's had a, a really good career. Um, but, you know, he's he'll be 35 next year. Um, I mean, the guy is uh, – caught passes for over 10,000 yards. He has scored 56 touchdowns. Um, you know, he's a, a, a heck of a, a heck of a receiver. Um, and I don't, you know, I, again, I don't know what they were doing in Philadelphia this year. I know that uh, he was hurt for some of the, you know, um, sat out for some of this, but I don't think uh, uh, they made the best use of his talent really over um, these last couple of years that he was, that he's been back in Philadelphia. Yeah, I, I agree. And then we have Santonio Holmes, you know, goes from being the MVP of the Super Bowl and, you know, Mr. Everything for the Steelers and uh, does a couple knucklehead things. Uh, Steelers trade him for a, a seventh round pick to the Jets and uh, the sort of career sort of falls off at that time too, which he, he could have really had a, a great, a much better career than he did. You know, he did have a good career, but probably could no, have been. No a... doubt. I mean, once you go to the Jets, that's it. That's doom. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, now you said you had a Mr. Van Pelt you want to talk about at the linebacker position. Well, Brad Van Pelt, he was he was uh, a member of, and you know, I, I misspoke. He did not win a Super Bowl. Brad played for the Giants for a number of years. Um, and he was part of a a uh, uh, a team that no, you know what he did? He did play for the Giants in the '85. No, he didn't. I'm sorry. He was with the Giants through the '83 season. Then he went to the Raiders and then on to the Cleveland Browns. He played 11 years for the Giants. Um, he was just a solid, solid football player. He uh, uh, was an outside linebacker, and he was part of a a team of linebackers that the Giants had uh, early going. We called them the Big Blue Wrecking Crew, and it was Brad Van Pelt, Lawrence Taylor, Harry Carson, and um, my gosh, I forget who the uh, fourth linebacker was at that time. Um, just those three sounds like a wrecking crew right there. That's something I would want to be running through the line at. (laughs) Yeah. The the giants were a, uh, they had one heck of a defense at that time. They're, they're nothing. Oh, the other linebacker was Brian Kelly. The giants had, they were the team that always had these great linebackers. And frankly, I can't remember the last time the giants drafted a linebacker. I sure am glad they uh, uh, signed Blake Martinez this uh, the last off season. Maybe uh, uh, this uh, 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 coaching staff realizes or recognizes the value uh, that a good linebacker can bring a team. It, it Linebackers sure is sort of a dying breed. It sure has. Uh, okay, well, I think we're sort of at that point in, our, in this episode where we got to come come to facts here and try to choose our top 10 number 10s i think we're we're already settled on our first five and just to review you know johnny blood 
Fran Tarkington, Kurt Warner, Jan Stenerud, and we both agree Eli Manning is in that group. Who of the other folks that we've discussed should be our, our other five to round out our top 10? Well, you know, when you look at it and you, and you really consider it, you know, there's another guy who, who, who uh, you didn't mention, Roy Jarella, and there's Pete Stoyanovich, but... Um, and we, yeah, there was a, or Orlande Mare and Chris Barr. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, there I was some... think you might have to put DeAndre Hopkins at number, uh, what, where are we, number six, number yeah. five? I, I'm thinking you're right. Probably, I, I think DeAndre Hopkins is probably that sixth spot. Yeah, and, and then depending on how his career goes, I might go with Tyreek Hill. At seven, I'd go with Barkowski at eight. Yeah, I think you made a compelling case for Barkowski. I could agree with that one too, and Tyreek Hill. Yeah, and then um, I don't. I, I, you know what? I'm a Jim Zorn fan. He, he's up there, and I would put him at of the guys that we talked about. I'd put Jim Zorn at nine and Santonio Holmes at ten. But you know, again, you still had. You still had a guy who won a Super Bowl, Jay Schrader, who we didn't talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, Roy Jarella was a heck of a kicker for the Steelers, Stoyanovich. And, you know, uh, Emmanuel Sanders is a heck of a, uh, a wide receiver who, who, could, who, who, who could break into that top 10 as well. Well, you know, I, th- I thought about Schrader when we were doing our research here. But Schrader's Super Bowl that he won – he didn't, wasn't the starting quarterback. Doug Williams was a starting quarterback for the Redskins when they won that. Schrader came in, I think, a year or two after that and became the starter with Washington, but he was on that team. Okay. So I, I, I don't think uh, – Schrader was a, a serviceable quarterback, a good quarterback, but I don't know that he's our you know makes the top 10 of the number 10s all time in my book. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 well, after you get by those Hall of Famers, it's, it's a, uh, a pretty tough one. Well, I, I mean, I think I, I like that, you know, you know, after, of course, Eli Manning on there, going with uh, DeAndre Hopkins and Tyreek Hill, Barkowski, Zorn, and did we come up with the 10th one? That's, that's yeah, what we're still discussing. Said, uh, yeah, yeah, that's where I put, um, Oh my gosh! Who did I just say? <laughs> uh, Zorn. Oh, San Antonio Holmes is who you. San Antonio Holmes of the and guys. Prob- maybe played. maybe because of the Super Bowl MVP, San Antonio Holmes gets that. And I yeah. I could agree with that. I could agree with that. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, I think we did it. I think we found our top ten. And uh, there you go. It's a. It's 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 definitely a good co- top ten. Definitely. Uh, definitely strong at the top i believe so and i want to thank you very much warren for joining us for this uh these top 10 number 10s in nfl history and uh we appreciate you being on absolutely darren thank you so much anytime i i really enjoyed it wow warren rogan does his homework on his uh, nfl players and what a great discussion we had there and we are going to have warren back uh you can catch him on the sports forgotten heroes anytime on the sports history network.com or on his website but you can also catch him here in just a day or two we're going to have him on with the greatest number 11s he wants to come back and talk some more at the pigskin dispatch uh on these or football by numbers series and we're thankful for him so once again we thank uh, warren for joining us we thank you our listeners for joining us because we couldn't do this without you and uh if you want to share you like the show you want to keep it going uh if you just go on that front page of pigskindispatch.com there's a tab, pull down tab for buy me a cup of coffee just uh, throw a little bit of change in there and we will send you our list of our top tens and top fives and top twelves that we've been uh, putting together for our football by numbers series and we'll send that to you as a, a special honor and gift for, for thanking you for uh, your contribution of any size to the Pigskin Dispatch to help with our operating expenses and uh, help us keep bringing you great guests just like uh, Warren Rogan today. So until tomorrow, everybody, have a great Gridiron Day. Peeking up at the clock, the time's running down. We're going to go into victory formation, take a knee, and let this baby run out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast. 
we invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleat Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. A special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com.